right, it's Florida week, so we have to get Jacob Hester back on Hey Fighting Podcast. He's uh, he's literally been calling me every day saying, hey, I've got to do the podcast this week. It's Florida week. He's fired up about this game. Jacob, why are you so fired up about this game in particular? Uh, no reason. No reason at all. Just another SEC opponent. No. Look, look, let's go ahead and start this thing saying we know it's a rivalry game. They don't like us. We don't like them. It's always a big-time matchup. Um, it's just one of those deals where you know what to expect when LSU and Florida play each other. And I have long said, I know LSU doesn't necessarily have one rival. I understand that you could throw a bunch of schools in there. Mm-hmm. I understand that back in the day it was Tulane, and back in the day it was Ole Miss, and then obviously you've got Alabama thrown to the mix, and Auburn has been great games for me. And for when I was playing at LSU, it was the Florida Gators, and there was no question. It's just different when these two teams meet. And look, I mean, they won the championship in 06. We won it in 07. They won it in 08. And so there was a lot of greatness on the field, right? And there's no love loss for these two teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know, you know, you can't put your finger on, on, on one example, but it just feels different. And I know when I was playing that every year when the schedule came out, that was the game that I was going to circle. Uh, I knew that when we got into – the game and you got into a pile, things were going to happen under that pile <laughs> that didn't happen in any other game. Things oh, were going God. to be said that you weren't going to say in any other game. It was going to start in pregame. It was going to continue during the game. It was going to probably happen after the game. I mean, I, I've told the story on my show before. You think that once you graduate, it's over. It's like, okay, well, you know, it was great while it lasted. I was at LSU and you think, okay, well, it will, it'll be done. And, I'll be able to watch a Florida game and, and not you know yell at the TV, right? And I come back to Tiger Stadium in 2009, and you know they're coming out and they do what they do, and they're jumping on the eye of the Tiger. And I'm in the NFL at this time, mm-hmm. and I'm on the sideline. It's my first time back in Tiger Stadium because my rookie year it just didn't work out to be able to come back. And I'm on the sideline. I see him jumping on the eye of the Tiger. Next thing I knew, Matt Flynn's pulling me back. I'm like, why is he pulling me back? I'm on the sideline. Like, what's going on here? I look down, I'm on the hashes yelling at college kids <laughs> because they're jumping on the eye of the tiger. Flynn sees me, knows I'm in the NFL. It's like, hey, buddy, you got to get back a little <laughs> bit just because that's what this game means. You can't turn off the LSU versus Florida rivalry. And, uh, I mean, look, it's been 12 years since I've played in Tiger Stadium, and I get chills thinking about this week. And it, it, it honestly, and, and I mean this, it has nothing to do with it being, being a signature game as far as in 07 with all the fourth downs and all that, that has nothing to do with it. It's just what this game meant every single year yeah. when I was in school. One of my first, you know, real college football moments was 2004 and watching Joseph Adai and Andrew Whitworth absolutely take over the game in the swamp. And it was one of my first times really playing a bunch at LSU and uh, one of my first starts at LSU. And I remember thinking, this is college football. This mm-hmm. is what this is supposed to be. And each and every year, 05, 06, 07, every game had so many great moments. And um, I look forward to it every year. It's crazy how the Florida game for so many people, especially our generation, kind of 30-year-old area, uh, is is like a – I appreciate you saying area for me well, since yeah, I'm, you I, know, almost 35. Yeah. <laughs> Being generous. It, for so many people our age, it's kind of a – when you think back on the memories of LSU football – a Florida game of some form or fashion really sticks out. And for me, it's a few of them, like the 07 game, obviously, because I was trying to play college basketball, uh, ended up not working out with the first school that I had 
signed up with. So I came to LSU for one semester to kind of buy time while I look for my next school and, and take classes. And so that was my freshman year, fall of 07. And so I got student tickets and was in the student section for all those games. And the Florida game was pretty memorable, as, as you well know. And then the first game that I ever covered as a member of the media on the road was the Florida game in 2012, which wasn't memorable for LSU fans. That was Odell and Jarvis and Zach Mettenberger. And they, I don't did they score? I don't know if they scored or not in that game, but it was it was a struggle. And I just remember being at the swamp, being on the sidelines for that game, and kind of you, you understand the atmosphere a little bit better than you would up in the press box. And then there's just so many games over the last few years that that stick out as well. I'm with you. It's um, LSU fans, especially me growing up, there wasn't always that rival because Alabama was up and down. Auburn was up and down. But every year, Florida, that cross-divisional opponent, I know people don't like the cross-divisional deal, and maybe that's something that gets addressed at some point in the future with the SEC. Um, I think the thing that people don't like about it is the relative fairness of it because Florida is such a difficult matchup for LSU, but it does set the stage for this kind of week, which is high stakes and intense. And you go to player interviews on Monday night with some audio that I'll share with our listeners at some point. And every player in there for LSU is just say very honestly, we don't like Florida. We, we don't like Florida. And it wasn't like they didn't cross a line. I didn't think I thought they were fine and how they said everything, you know, we're getting ready for the game. We're focused on us, all that stuff. But when a reporter asks you, what do you think of Florida? Those guys didn't hold back. They said, we don't like them. Um, is that something that, I mean, you kind of touched on it there. Is that something y'all had as players too? Like, because for me, from the outside looking in, it's a rivalry because, oh, it's two good teams playing with each other. But what is it about that that rivalry where those players feel that way? I know for them in particular, it's the way that the last few games have played out and stuff on the field and all that stuff. But just from a program, from a historical perspective, where do you see that developing? Look, it's the same thing. If you pulled all the 2007 players, it'd be the same thing. I mean, they would say that's the the team they don't like, and I'm sure Florida, same thing. They'd say probably LSU, but it's all it's all the extra stuff. I mean, it's all the you know it's going to be different, and I mentioned like in the piles and and different things. I mean, something happens when these two teams meet, and uh, I mean, I, I I wasn't a big trash talker when I was on the field. It just wasn't my game, and I was a guy that you know kind of subbed in and out as far as you know running back, fullback, whatever. So I was always looking to the sidelines as soon as the play was over. And I can remember in 2007, like guys like Matt Flynn, who didn't talk trash, Craig Stelts, who didn't talk <laughs> trash. I mean, they are full in this thing. I was too. I mean, me and Brandon Spikes, we haven't really met after that. I mean, we played against each other in the NFL, but we said some things to each other that probably uh, would, would not allow us to have dinner together. Not in the safe same for podcast purposes. Right. No, probably not. And, and look, I, I can remember, you know, lining up and we're about to run you know one of the the fourth down conversions and probably the stupidest thing I ever did in football I told Brandon Spikes where the play was going <laughs> because it was like no. one of those things where we had talked so much trash to each other and um you know Infant Simmons who does a great job for ESPN always reminds me of this story because I believe he was covering the game and me and Brandon Spikes are kind of jawing back and forth. And right before we go back to the huddle, I said, we're coming right here. We're coming right here. And I'm pointing to the A-gap on the right <laughs> side where he's, you know, the middle linebacker. Yeah. And sure enough, the play came <laughs> right there. Did, and hold on, hold on. I want to I slow you down. Did you know the play was going there or did – did you, by saying the play is coming here, dictate the play call? Uh, 
Well, there's a good chance. Or you chance. just had a good it was, feeling. It was a good chance it was going to be load power on yeah. fourth and one. Okay. If you go back and watch that tape, both fourth down conversions on that drive and the touchdown were actually the same play. Okay. And so there was a good chance you just knew. it was going to be. So, yeah, look, I, I kind of knew where it was coming. And, you know, after the game, I remember kind of going through – you know, the sequence of plays, uh, you know, with my family after the game. I'm like, that was really dumb. I told him exactly <laughs> where the football was going. But it was one of those things where that game just brings those kind of emotions out of you because I wanted him to know, okay, we're coming here. You know we're coming here, and we're still going to pick up the first down. Now, luckily, we did pick up the first down. But it's you hard called to put – called your shot. Look, yeah, it's hard to put your finger on. I mean, I, I don't I – don't, and, it, and it started, like, as soon as you get on campus. And I can remember – um, you know, guys from the 03 team who won the national championship talking about, look, we won a national championship, but we didn't beat Florida. Yeah. And that was like one of their goals coming into the season. Like, we are going to avenge that loss. And they had, and so like I was almost born into it. Like I had yeah. no choice, right? And uh, I'm glad that was the, the rivalry that I was born into. And I can remember Marcus Spears and Corey Webster and all those guys that week going on the road just being just so, uh, so super focused on winning that football game. And then, like I said, Joe Adai takes over, and it was a great feeling. The locker room was great afterwards. And uh, it's just no matter who you ask, there, there's always going to be a Florida LSU story, and it's probably going to be somebody doing something out of the norm that they normally wouldn't do. I love it, man. That's I mean, this is what college football is all about, it, right? It's, it's what makes it different from the NFL and any other level is that you get these rivalries, you get these – these different stories. So I, I think it makes it exciting. And I, I do like the fact that uh, LSU's players are embracing that. They're not shying away from it. They're not pretending that it's something that it's not. They're very much acknowledging they understand what this game is and what it's going to be. Uh, but they're also not taking it too far. And they're, they're not running their mouths. They're, they're doing a good job of, of uh, staying within themselves. And I think it's going to prepare them well for the game. Speaking of the game, let's talk about the game. Um, we can reflect a little bit back on Utah State as well as we do this. Um, you're, fortunately, you do some SEC radio, so you're more familiar with Florida than I am. I'm only familiar with Florida from the little that I've seen on TV. Right. I'm usually, you know, for example, when they were playing Auburn this past weekend, I had it on the TV that is right behind you in my office, but I was like working, so I wasn't really paying that much attention to it. But I know, you know, Kyle Trask at quarterback and Perrine at running back, and they've got talent at, at receiver. Uh, defensive backs they've uh, what is it four touchdown passes and 12 interceptions this year and then I remember that Miami game just the pressure they were able to consistently generate um, with their with their front uh, I know Zuniga has been out for a couple games but I think he was cleared to play for the Auburn game and ended up not playing in that game but I would assume he's available for this game what, what are some of the matchups that you think are going to dictate this uh you know starting offensively for them Kyle Trask I think stabilized the quarterback position I really do and that's nothing against Felipe Franks I just think Trask makes really good decisions and he's a guy that stands tall in the pocket has some good pocket presence and uh you know we'll see he had the knee brace on at the end of last game we'll see how much that like affects a sprained him MCL or yeah something. sprained MCL which look I've had that before I had it in week 16 in one of the NFL seasons I was a part of and I tried to give it a go in in, in week 17 and couldn't do it yeah and it it's a painful injury, and I'm sure his his knee probably swole up and the whole deal. So we'll see what his availability is. I know he's a tough kid. That's the one thing you definitely hear about him. Um, going into the game, you know, on the SEC radio stuff, I said they got to get Lamichael Piran going. Yeah, 
and because he was a guy that came to SEC media days, and, I mean, they think a lot of him, and he is a good running back, and he had a big 88-yard run in the game against Auburn, which kind of gave him some confidence. I know he had, you know, multiple tweets about that one run, and it was a, a really nice run, and, you know, if that gets him going, I'm, I'm sure Florida fans would be excited. Uh, Receiver-wise, they do have a, a talented room. I mean, Jefferson Grimes, uh, Cleveland, they have guys that uh, can change a game, and they've been a little bit quiet as far as what I thought they would be, but they definitely have that talent to break out so the one spot on their offense is their offensive line that has a lot of question marks you have four new starters on the offensive front so they're still trying to find their way to work good as a unit so offensively that's you know you know that's why you know getting Rashard Lawrence and getting Caleb on back for LSU defensively has been so important that's why this week has kind of been circled ever since the, you know they had the nagging injuries and I think it's very important to get obviously as many of those defense alignment back just because when you look at Florida's offense that's where the most inexperience is speaking of defensive line a guy that coach O talked about yesterday was Neil Farrell and when I was on Monday morning kind of my routine is I come in I see what I've got to do for the week kind of make a list and then I start looking at stats and dig into the deep stats and that's kind of where I get my understanding of the game if you if you look at all the advanced stats Neil Farrell has been LSU's best defensive lineman it's not even close he's been I think he leads the SEC and run stop percentage um, he's top 15 in the S or excuse me, he leads power five schools and run stop percentage top 15 in power five schools and pass rush productivity. He's getting hurries. He's hitting guys behind the line of scrimmage. Now you bring back Rashard Lawrence, possibly who I think is, is questionable for the game, but maybe closer to probable than questionable. Not sure about Glenn Logan. Don't know what his status is, but you're going to start adding pieces to that. How do you feel about where LSU's defensive line is right now? Caleb on chase on who's kind of been bouncing back and forth between outside linebacker in the the three-man front and then kind of putting his hand down in the dirt sometimes in the four-man front. He played last week, is healthy. How do you feel about that LSU front going into this game? Well, look, it's the one position group on the football field that probably rotates more than any other. I mean, you want to get as many guys in and out to have a fresh body there. And with the injuries, LSU hasn't been able to probably do that as much as they want to. But look, look a guy like Neil Farrell getting this experience, having this success, and now if you can get a couple guys back to keep him fresh, to keep Rashard Lawrence fresh when he's back in there. And Tyler Shelvin's has been outstanding He's been great this man. year. I mean, he's a guy – and we've talked about it on this podcast before. Look, when you're the number one recruit in the state of Louisiana, that means something. Like, it's, it's not like you're the number one recruit in, in Minnesota yeah. or South Dakota. No disrespect yeah, if gonna, we got any gophers You're going to anger all our Minnesota exactly. listeners. But when you're the number one player in the state of Louisiana, we know what kind of football is played here in high school. And, you know, people wanted to see him take that next step. Well, look, everybody has some growing up to do when they mm -hmm. get to college campus. I did. You did. All of us. Right? Well, he did that, and Coach O was pushing him, and right, he motivated him. And yeah, he's you could tell that was an emphasis this offseason. No they really it. wanted to motivate him, he, and he and he got it done. And he talks about him, and still at practice yesterday. I mean, that's the guy's like, all right, come on, Ty, come on, Ty, let's go, let's go, right? And he's been outstanding this year. And and Opu Ika's going to kind of get back in the fold as well. So just getting some depth there is gigantic because you've got the Jimmys and Joes and you just have to be able to rotate those guys in and get some fresh bodies. And, you know, as far as the outside guys, getting Caleb on back last week was huge. Can we talk about Caleb on? Because I, I get this a lot. And this week in particular, I'll just let everyone know, I'm not going to be checking my Twitter mentions very much because it's already gotten bad on Monday with Florida fans going in there and saying stuff and just trying to trigger people. And it's it becomes counterproductive. Um, but one thing that I've seen is people – asking about Caleb on chase on looking at his stats worried that he doesn't have five six seven sacks at this point 
concerned that he, you know something's not quite right with him. Uh, I want to talk about that because I think Caleb has been fine. I think he's been very, very good. I think he's been doing what he's been asked to do based on the offenses that LSU's playing. So, for example, Utah State. How could Caleb Von Chason have gotten a sack in that game when Jordan Love is three-step drop and getting rid of it? You know, same thing for Northwestern State. Um, he's missed a couple games against Texas. He got a sack. To me, this Florida game feels like a chance for Caleb Von Chason. I don't care if he gets two sacks or no sacks or whatever. It just feels like a game where he can make an impact with his athleticism, with his persistence off the edge. He's been great against the run. He's been dropping in coverage. But this feels like a game, a Florida offense that's going to do some you know, play action, drop back, sit in the pocket like Trask likes likes to do a little bit. I feel like Calevon can have that kind of game that people have been hoping to see out of him. Um, even though I think he's been playing pretty well, even if the the stats aren't there. Yeah, look, he affects the game regardless of, of what the stat line says. He did it against Utah State. I mean, there was one play where they ran a screen pass and. He sniffed it out, and he jumps up and affects the throw, and then Love had to throw a rainbow throw to the running back, and then Patrick Queen's right there because of that throw for a tackle for loss. And so things like that that you don't notice on the stat line, but you'll see it when you watch the tape. Going back to the Texas game, look, he was rushing against a mobile quarterback. That's a different rush than when you're playing a guy that's going to sit in the pocket and try to step up in the pocket. And so a lot of times when you rush and that first move doesn't work, well, then you just hold point to see if he's going to run. And so there's a lot of you know nitty-gritty that we could get into, but Calevon absolutely affects the game. I mean, you saw multiple times the running back for Utah State had to help their left tackle. He had to help chip Calevon and just having his presence there because he's an elite rusher. And anybody that says any different, I'd love to sit down and watch tape with you. We can watch <laughs> one-on-ones from practice. We can watch game tape. It doesn't really matter. I'd love to sit down and show you why he's an elite rusher. And this week's very interesting because you do have a guy in Kyle Trask who's, you know, he can, can he run? Yeah, he can run quarterback powers. He's a big physical body, but he's not going to specialize in the run, obviously. He's a guy that tries to step up in the pocket. So let's see where that LSU, you know, pressure comes from. Does it come from the middle of the defense? Does it come from the edges? You know, what will be the point of emphasis for LSU? I'm looking forward to seeing this defensive front gets some more body so they can be more creative, so they can be more aggressive because they've done a really nice job with limited bodies uh, of, you know, trying to get after the quarterback. And Neil Farrell's been a big part of that, like you mentioned. So this week, having two more guys possibly back, we'll see what they can do. What do Dan Mullen offenses require of specifically linebackers? Because you mentioned Patrick Queen there. I thought he had a great game against Utah State. That's the spot where – to me, a Dan Mullen offense can put a lot of pressure. You have to be very disciplined at that linebacker spot, but you also have to have the athleticism to to crash, to run sideline to sideline. I think Queen brings that to the table. I think Jacob Phillips has played really well all season. LSU's kind of settled on those two guys in the middle. With Damone Clark coming in as a rusher in situations, Michael Divinity should, could be back this week, probably plays more on the edge, can play in the middle if he needs to. But with Phillips and Queen, two guys I think that have played pretty well for LSU, Queen breaking out against Utah State. What, what does a Dan Mullen offense demand of that position, and how do you think they handle it? You can't take the bait. You can't let your eyes trick you because he's going to try to fool you. I mean, we've seen so many plays. and I mean, the speed option with Felipe Franks last year was something that you know you hadn't really seen on tape. And yeah, they run the short fake, side option. Yeah. Like they, they run the fake zone read that turns into a speed option. We saw the same play last week against Auburn for a big gain. And last year, Jacob Phillips missed that game. And I thought it was huge for LSU. And that's no disrespect to anybody that came in and played for Jacob Phillips. It was a freshman. Yeah. I mean, and it's tough to play against the Dan It was Mullen. Baskerville, right? It was Baskerville, and he, yeah. He played pretty 
pretty well given he the did. circumstances that he was given. But and it's, it's helped t- him this year, I think. I think it has as well. And it's tough, though, uh, as, a, as a true freshman to go against that offense, especially when you think Phillips is going to go because we all thought he was going to. Yeah, he warmed up. Comes out for warm-ups, not able to go in that contest. And when you don't have that full week to prepare, you know, that's always kind of difficult. And so that's why the middle linebacking position is so big against the Dan Mullen offense because he's going to try to get you out of position by the window dressing, things that are going on on the left side when he wants to attack the right side and you like having veteran players in there like a Phillips like a Patrick Queen and look those guys are as athletic as anybody on the field I mean Patrick Queen in my opinion is one of the most underrated players in the conference not the team but the entire conference because he can do so many different things last year I mean he turned into an edge rusher I mean the Fiesta Bowl his performance probably goes unnoticed because uh, you know, the offense put up so many numbers yep. and the defensive backfield was so beat up. And then you had guys get ejected for targeting and, and different things. But he had a heck of a game. He's continued that. He's really built on that matchup. And um, I, I like the matchup of him going against an offense like Florida that's going to try to do different things and try to fool you with uh, things you haven't necessarily seen on tape. So that's probably one of the bigger matchups in the entire game. The secondary rose to the occasion against Utah State. Derek Stingley got a pick. Grant Delpit got a pick. Uh, Kerry Vincent got a pick. It was a concern for a lot of fans, the way that they started the season, especially when they were dropping in zone coverages and weren't having a lot of success. But I thought you you saw them finally take the step that you wanted to see them take. And and you mentioned Florida's receivers. Um, I think the one concern right now with LSU secondary is Coach O talking about Cordell Flott possibly not being available for this Florida game. That's going to put some pressure on the depth. That's going to keep Christian Fulton on the outside. He's not, probably not going to be able to play the nickel if Cordell Flott can't go. Unless they trust the Jay Ward or Ray Darius Jones, we'll see how they how they play it. But you would think they'll stick with Fulton on one side, Stingley on the other, carry in the nickel, and then the two safeties back there. Um, what, what do you see as the challenges for the secondary against this this Florida attack? That You mentioned Trask, been very accurate this year, incredibly accurate. If you look at the SEC accuracy, accuracy stats, he has been – right behind Joe Burrow in terms of accuracy. Um, what are the challenges for LSU secondary this week? Yeah, look, obviously last week you tried to move some guys around. You tried to do some different things, and then you have some injuries, and you probably go back to what you did before that. And so it, it's not like it's unfamiliar positions for them. So that's a positive, I think. And then your depth took a big hit. There's no question about that. Cordell Flott's a guy we've talked about throughout training camp that had a really nice performance in August. And so, uh, But, again, you're going back to what you did for most of the season as far as uh, Kerry being in the nickel and Christian being on the outside. And uh, does it does it change some things? Yeah, I mean, Grant's probably going to play more of a free safety, and Jacoby's probably going to play more of a strong safety. But again, that's what you've you've been doing there. And real quick, before we go any farther, like, can we talk about Derek Stingley? And he's a pretty good football player. And when you talk about him, it's like, yeah, he's he's one of the best freshmen. Oh, yeah, he's one of the best young guys. Like that's out the window now. Like he's one of the best defensive players in the country, and it's been so impressive to watch his technique and to be that young and to be that polished already yep. and nothing phases the young man I mean he doesn't try to rush things he doesn't try to hurry up and get out of position a little bit because he's not sure it's like you know so many times a, f- a freshman looks like a fish out of water and he has not had that moment because he came to LSU so polished and um yeah the thing that impresses me most about Stingley you touched on it there is just his poise I mean he just he's so far beyond his years um, nothing seems to phase him and playing cornerback at this level is not as easy as he makes it look. Um, he, he makes it look way easier than it actually is. It's almost like the ball is 
intended for him when it's thrown sometimes. I mean, he's he's the real deal. I, I, I shared his stats uh, earlier this week. You're right. If you look at his stats, targets and force incompletions and completion percentage and passer rating, he, he's he's not one of the best freshmen. He's one of the best cornerbacks, period, in the country. So it's been fun to watch him develop. This will be a test for him. Uh, I think he'll do just fine, though, because he's, he's got all the tools. Let's, let's, let's talk about LSU's offense, which we, as good as they've been, we haven't talked about them much and how you see them matching up with Florida's defense. I thought Thad Moss had the quote of the game after Saturday's game when he said LSU had a quiet 600 yards of offense against Utah State. We talked about it at halftime. The offense was a little out of sync, um, not in its its the rhythm that we've seen them play with all year, and yet they were still moving the ball and scoring points. And Yeah, they got to clean up the turnovers, but I think Joe Burrow, to me it was the perfect situation. I've said this before. I think I may have said it after the game on the podcast. To me, it was the perfect game for LSU's offense for a couple of reasons. One, they still produced. Joe put up his numbers. Justin put up his numbers. All those guys can get their stats and continue the, kind of the national storyline about how LSU's offense has been so good. But you know that they're watching film this week and just they see 20 things that they have to fix, and they're hyper-focused on that. And to me, that's the perfect recipe going into a game against a Florida defense that – the guys they have up front, if you look at the pressure stats in the SEC, it's Florida defenders all at the top. I mean, they're going to generate pressure with with four guys. They just do that against everybody. Um, what do you see as, as the key for LSU going into this week against a Florida defense that up front has guys that can get pressure on the back end, like I mentioned, four touchdown passes allowed, 12 interceptions. They got guys in the secondary. They got guys up front. What's going to be key for LSU? Is it protecting Joe? Is it uh, getting the ball out of his hands fast? Is it just doing what they do and continue to execute? What do you see as kind of the deciding factor? Yeah, so that's going to be the talk all week long is can Florida get pressure on LSU? And you, you've broken down the stats, and you're my go-to stat guy. Joe Burrow's been really good when Take teams – Take that, Todd Polites. <laughs> <laughs> when teams have tried to pressure Joe Burrow, right? I mean, they haven't had success. It's when he's been at his best. Now, Florida can get pressure with four which that's always a plus if you're a defensive coordinator. But we also know Todd Grantham likes to bring zone blitzes. He likes to bring six guys a lot of yeah. the time, right? Loves and to so, disguise a coverage. So if I'm LSU, I'm thinking, okay, well, I had success running the football against Florida last year. Nick Brissett had a big day. Clyde edwards Elair had mm -hmm. over four yards a carry. So, you know, which way do I want to go? Do I want to – play this warp speed offense where they don't have the opportunity to bring these blitzes because as we know if you're getting on the ball it's hard to signal a blitz in from the sideline mm -hmm. a lot of defensive coordinators go vanilla when you become fast-paced and Todd Grantham as much as he wants to if you're going at a speed that he can't that takes that away from him yeah and like I said Florida can get pressure with force so I'm not saying they can't get pressure and so it's it's a a deal where I'm, I'm curious to see does LSU do what they did a week ago against Utah State they try to control the clock which I'm you know 41 minutes to 19 yeah. and they had success running the football with Clyde with Ty Davis Price John Emory Chris Curry all those guys or do they do what we saw more in the Texas game and try to get on the line of scrimmage and play as fast as they can? And so there's multiple options for this LSU offense. I'll be very curious to see if Joe Burrow has anything to do with the running game because that's something really that last year at the end of the year was one of their best plays, and yeah. we haven't necessarily seen it a ton. Yeah. Now he started the last couple of games to have one or two runs in a game mm -hmm. that – 
you know, kind of remind you, oh yeah, Joe has that in his repertoire. And so it's going to be the ultimate chess match between, you know, Ensminger and Brady versus Grantham. And I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, Florida's got CJ Henderson, who's an all American corner. They got uh, Wilson there as well. And so how do the receivers play against those guys? I'm assuming they're up for the challenge because, LSU's receiving group as a whole has been up for every challenge they've been faced with this year. And so that's – look, I'm an offensive guy, so that's the matchup that I'm paying the most attention to anyways. But it's intriguing because I do think there's different ways to go if you're LSU to try to come up with a game plan. Now, obviously, you can see multiple things. They can come out one drive and say, hey, we're not huddling. Everything's on the line of scrimmage. We're not looking to the sidelines. We're not doing the check with me like they did against Utah State. We're going to be two-minute offense pace – in the second drive of the first quarter. Yep. And so you have those options. I'm very curious to see if they get back to their tempo or if they try to come out and establish a run because, look, you go back and you watch the tape last year, that's what they had success with. Yeah. And that's in an offense where they, I mean, knew you were yeah. going to try to run between the tackles. And uh, looking for Clyde edwards Elair to to have an, uh, a big day, honestly. That's the guy that I'm trying to spotlight, look at, and look. I, we talk about it every time I come on here. I'm the biggest Clyde Edwards Elair fan. He doesn't get his due from anybody. And the guy just goes about his business. He does everything the coaches ask him to do. The guy is not going to be tackled by the first guy that touches him. He breaks a tackle, it seems like, on every run. And he's just a consistent football player who's been fun to watch. So I think Clyde's going to be important. I think he's going to be extra important in the passing game. I feel like that's something the the quarterback run, which they did more of against Utah State. Some of that was out of scramble because Utah State was just rushing three and four, and Joe would kind of sit there for eight seconds and then just take off running and get ten yards. I think the quarterback run and the running back pass, two things that LSU did has done at times with Joe Burrow, but hasn't done as much lately. And to me, that seems like a great way to combat that blitz because what Florida likes to do sometimes is they like to they'll you know they'll man up across the board and if they see their man is sticking in there blocking they'll go ahead and rush that guy and you know I think LSU might get a little tricky there and maybe show block and then let Clyde slip out of the backfield and make some catches I think that'd be really fun what I don't think LSU will do I don't know what LSU is going to do offensively what I know they're not going to do is sit in with seven and eight man protections I just right. I, I don't see any way that happens if you look at the numbers by far LSU average blockers per play least in the SEC. I think it's like five and a half, which yeah. means basically they're doing five or six man protections right. basically every time. I think there's going to be none of that. I think it's going to be the identity of this this offense, which is spread your playmakers out, get it out of the quarterback's hands as quickly as necessary. Not too quickly, because if you actually look at the numbers, Joe is toward the bottom of the SEC and how long he's holding on to the football, mostly because he's been afforded time in the pocket. It's been yeah. good offensive line play. But I don't think you're going to see LSU seven, eight-man protections. I think everyone's running routes, and you're putting it in Joe Burrow's hands, and you say, hey, make good decisions. And, and then I think where the real question mark is, is like you mentioned, how much do you establish the run? How much do you right. balance the pass with the run? But I, I think it's going to be one of the great chess matches of the season so far because – you know, the Utah State game, LSU slowed it down offensively, quote-unquote slowed it down, because they wanted to help the defense out, right? right? It was it was complimentary showed, pieces. Yeah. I don't think you have to do that with Florida. So I, I think you may go back to that helter-skelter, let's get it as quickly as possible. Joe Burrow's yelling at the referee to get out of the way because he wants to go yeah. fast. It, that's, that's what I think we'll see. You also, as far as the running backs and who plays and is it Clyde, is it one of the young guys – 
you've had your running back split out a ton where he's been a receiver, but when you have him in the backfield and they do bring those zone blitzes, the running back is going to be the most important guy on the field because he has to be able to pick up whatever his responsibility is. The last thing you want is your quarterback not trusting that you're going to pick up that linebacker because Joe's as good as anybody at trusting his running back, standing tall in the pocket and trying to deliver the ball down the field. So, I'm not saying they're going to be in a ton because, to your point, they've been spread out. They've had free releases, those type of things. But when it's your day, when it's your number, whenever you have that responsibility, you have to pick him up. That way the quarterback continues to trust you and can go through his progressions and not worry about having to move in the pocket. I know you've been mixing your monster energy drink and your your coffee over there. Um, So I know you're fired up just like – Chemically speaking, hey, rain, rain, energy rain, energy. Drink. Drink. Sorry, the, I'm looking at the, the back official of the... Uh, energy drink of hanging with Hester. Come okay, on, man. There we go. Yeah, it's a rain. With... Same company, but yeah. Gotcha. It's a, it's a rain. Apologies. <laughs> the, the back of the can was facing me. All, all, all due respect. And, and to be totally fair, the back of the can was facing me. But I know regardless of what you've been drinking, you're fired up about this week. Um, it's going to be fun, man. Like it's just to me, this is the this is this is what college football is all about. The, the anticipation, the trash talk. Um, everyone, everyone's fired up for this one. Everyone's geared up for it. Uh, nobody likes each other. That's what, that's what it's, that's the fun weeks. So, um, we'll see how it un- unfolds on, on Saturday, but feel really good about LSU. I, th- I think they're taking the right approach. I think coach O's message yesterday of let your play speak for itself. Uh, I think the team's bought into that and it's, uh, I think it's going to be huge. My last thing is my bold prediction. Tiger stadium will be as loud as it's ever been on Saturday. And I said that yesterday to some people, and I got some some big eyeballs. I'm just telling you, Florida hasn't been here in two years. Yep. We know the trash talk between everybody. We know what this game means. We know what's on the line. We know everything that surrounds this game with college game day, with it being really the first big night game of the season after a bunch of 11 a.m. kickoffs. Weather's going to be great. Weather's going to be, I mean, basically everything you could dream of in Baton Rouge, Louisiana in October. This will be one of the top three environments of all time in Tiger Stadium. That's my bold prediction. Extra seats from you know, the last time that, right since Florida played here last, aren't haven't the seats been added since then? Twenty sixteen. Yeah, because let's see, because they sky- were done in the twenty sixteen off season. I think I can't remember. I'll go back and. I mean, I'm, and I'm trying to think if like the skyline was in place at, at that point. I don't know because I, it's extra seats. Hey, we'll fit as many son of a guns as we can fit. Re- in this reg- regardless of the extra seats, beer. <laughs> I mean that's beer, beer in yeah. Tiger Stadium, night game, well um, hydrated inside Tiger Stadium. I think on Saturday I think the night. fans will be very, very well hydrated. It's gonna be fun, man. I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait to uh, to get to Saturday. Uh, I wish it was here right now. And I'm kind of upset that we're doing this here on a Tuesday because I like I'm getting sweaty palms right now, <laughs> getting ready for the game. We can get I, you back. I man. almost feel like I'm about to walk across the street and the game's <laughs> about to take place. And now we still got multiple days. Uh, I'll I'll end on this note. And this is not to toot my own horn because I play a very, very small part in this project. But we've been doing the hype videos every week. I haven't seen the final product of the Florida hype video, but I have a feeling that it's going to be special. I, I think it's going to be a pretty – I think you're going to get hype. I think it's going to okay. achieve its okay. uh, achieve its goal. So uh, we'll keep an eye out for that. Jacob, always good to have you on, uh, on the podcast. Um, can't wait for Saturday, man. It's going to be fun. Absolutely looking forward to it, man. Let's all be Gator haters this week. We fight to hold the glory of the purple and gold. Come on, you tigers. I said fight, fight.
little breeze. 